welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Therapy good for PDA kids? This is a question I get a lot, and I want to talk to you guys a little bit about my trip with my son and explain to you how I think about therapy and how I coach families through that exact question. And like always, it is a nuanced answer. Okay, so the question we're talking about today is, is therapy good for PDA kids and teens? So my son and I just got back a week ago from seven days in Colorado with an occupational therapist and, in my opinion, shaman and healer. So this is someone that I had worked with virtually to do the safe and sound protocol for myself to work on my own nervous system regulation. And the safe and sound protocol is based on polyvagal theory. It's a listening therapy that you do for five consecutive days and it stimulates the inner ear and like opens up the vagal pathway. So I wanted to try it out on myself first and it was very amazing for me. And I had done the safe and sound protocol with my son before I was even steeped in PDA when he was five. And I did it twice because I knew that he had a trauma response, but I didn't know why. And it was very important in our journey in the sense that for a period of time, I could see behind the child behind the threat response because it was very, very hard for me to see anything but fight flight when he was younger. But the effects wore off. So the first thing I want to say is that I always want to caveat and sometimes hesitate to share anecdotes about the specific modalities or specifics of the therapy that I've done with my son. Why is that the case? Because of course, as parents, you're looking for solutions, right? And you're like, give me whatever she's doing. She seems to be okay. Her kid's in school. She has a business. Like, she seems relatively happy. Like, just I'm just going to do what she's doing, right? And that's how I would have been five years ago, just looking for, like, what is the answer? And I want to say that, well, we can learn a lot from other people. My role here is to give you clarity on your particular child and help you make decisions and apply accommodations within the context of your family, given where you are in your journey, okay? So the safe and sound protocol has worked very well for some families, and I've worked with other families with PDA children for whom the safe and sound protocol actually was too activating for them or the pressure put on the PDA child in order to engage with the therapy actually activated the nervous system, okay? Additionally, if you are neurodivergent, applying the safe and sound protocol to sort of open up that vagal pathway can be overstimulating and too much if applied 
over the course of the hour of listening. So I just need to say those caveats because I'm never going to recommend a therapy or a modality here on this platform. I don't do affiliations. I'm happy to make referrals if I know the, the people and know it's a good fit. But my goal is to get you clarity on your path and what works for you. Okay, so no blanket response. Okay, so what can we learn about this bigger picture question of is therapy good for the PDA child or teen? Sorry, I just <laughs> dropped that thing. So the first thing I want to say is as a parent, you want to think about it sequentially. Okay, so it's not a binary question of like therapy's good, therapy's bad. What we want to think about is where in your journey are you with your PDA child or teen? Are they in burnout? If that's the case, therapy is probably something we want to pull back on because you're in a period of relearning your child, rebuilding trust, and learning to accommodate your specific child, which is something you're going to have to model and teach others in your life, including therapists, in order to do it in a way that's PDA friendly. So we don't want to jump right into therapy. That doesn't mean two years down the line, it's not going to be helpful for your child to do speech language pathology or occupational therapy or whatever, right? And of course, look at the data in your home. If your child loves doing a therapy, then you can infer from that data empirically, we can keep doing this, right? So I want to say that about the sequential element because there is no way on God's green earth I could have taken my son to a different state just the two of us with his service dog and had him engage with an hour-long listening therapy five days in a row with a therapist, even two years ago, okay? So I'm like more than four years in to this. Okay, so the second is we want to think about a cost-benefit analysis when we're thinking about therapy, right? We want to pan back before we're even talking about modalities of like, I observe my child really likes the sensory play at occupational therapy once he or she or they get there. However, putting the demand and pressuring them to have the perceived loss of autonomy to get to therapy activates them and actually like ruptures some of the trust that we're building. Okay, so only you can make that decision. And it's a question that's specific to your child of like, is the benefit of getting the sensory regulation during the therapy worth the cost of pushing them to go to the therapy, which activates the nervous system because of the perceived loss of autonomy and equality to you and possibly the therapist, okay? So that's the question you want to be asking. The third thing I want to say about therapy, and I'll give you a little anecdote to illustrate this, is the modality matters less than the person and energy behind the session, okay? So for example, one of the most therapeutic things my son did during this Colorado trip, twofold. One was simply that we spent time together in a connected way and I provided undivided attention for seven days, <laughs> okay? So like we went into it, my husband and I, of like, you know, we paid the certain amount to do this therapy. I trust the therapist, but if it's not going well, we just tuck, like duck and roll off the track and like we just have a good time together. And the therapy is the attuned co-regulation and me providing accommodations from a safe nervous system. Okay, so the therapy my son and I were doing for was for our connection together. So if in any point I was 
observing, oh, pushing him to do X, Y, or Z is coming in the way of the connection, we drop it. Additionally, one of the things that emerged organically was an interest for him in rock climbing, which I went with him with the service dog to do. One of the therapists, or he wasn't actually technically a therapist, formed a bond with my son energetically and in terms of nervous system safety while he was riding horses. So this beautiful shaman other OT was prompted the idea of like, what if you hired him to go rock climbing with your son because he is an expert in rock climbing? Rock climbing is not a therapy, right? But what was so therapeutic that he had this person who just by the way that they existed and interacted with him, no pressure, totally saw him as competent, wasn't upset by dysregulation and just and one of the conversations I had on the phone with him when we were deciding if we were going to do this I was like he wants to rock climb he doesn't want you to teach him like don't teach him right and so this person had that ability to just like strew prompts when it was necessary and encourage him in a really intuitive way okay so what was therapeutic about that in addition to the movement was the person Okay, so this is really important to understand because often we're thinking about modality. And honestly, like if you have an art therapist who is allowing for autonomy, not activated by equalizing behavior, allows the child, you know, strews things and sort of co-regulates the child through it, they're going to move into their frontal lobe instead of being in their survival brain. And guess what? They're going to access more rational thought skills and potentially more speaking, right, and connection. That might be more therapeutic for your child's speech than a speech language pathologist who is focusing on skills over nervous system safety. And what often happens in therapeutic contexts, especially things like parent-child interaction therapy or other therapies that are establishing trust and connection, and it goes really well until they're like, okay, we established it, now we're doing skills. And then things go off the rails because what's therapeutic? The connection and implicit trust and nervous system safety, not necessarily the modality. Of course, the ideal is that we have a beautiful speech language pathologist who also does the nervous system safety and accommodations, and then you have the unicorn that we all know and love. And they, they are out there. Okay, so fifth, and this gets back to the sequential point I was making of like, a lot of parents have to drop therapy for a year while they're getting their child out of burnout. And it can be very nerve wracking because of course, your child's at quote, their worst moment. And it seems like they've regressed and lost all these skills. And it's when you want to go hardest into therapy because all you're seeing is what's coming from the survival part of the brain, right? And so you can't see the skills that they can access because they can't access them and they can't learn new skills because they're not in that part of the brain, okay? So often we have to take a step back, reestablish trust, get their cumulative nervous system activation down, and then re-explore therapy through collaboration, connection, and consent, Okay, so like I never would have taken my son to Colorado to do the safe and sound protocol if he had not said, yeah, I want to do that. Right. And his caveat was like, yeah, I want to do that. But we're, we have to bring the service dog. And I was like, let's do it. Right. And I honestly had no idea how it was going to go. <laughs> 
So we want to think about that because it's going to be much more therapeutic if you wait until you have that buy-in consent. You connect over it of like, yeah, I think this might help you. And then they get to decide like you strew it. And then finally, we have to adapt whatever modality it is to the PDA lens, right? So let me give you two examples. With the safe and sound protocol, the first two times I did it, I did it according to like the strict protocol of like, you can't increase the child's heart rate, right? You don't want them to be aroused. So not a lot of movement. I mean, think about how hard that is for a PDA child, especially in externalized expression, who's five, right? All my son wanted to do was move. And so I'm trying to like not get him activated by not having him move, except my attempt to, you know, corral what he's doing with his body is activating him, right? Like nervous system activation, nervous system activation. Second, there's not supposed to be any talking, which... For him, he didn't seem to mind when he was five because he didn't talk a lot. But like, again, if you're like trying to not talk and they're wanting to talk, nervous system activation. And then finally, not allowed to eat because it interferes with like how your ear can perceive the music. But for many PDA children, especially when they're like five or close to burnout, oral regulation is a primary tool with like crunchy snacks in order to engage with something, right? And so this was over three years ago, but what was different about this time with the occupational therapist and healer in Colorado was we had movement, we went on the swings, we went into nature, we fed the chickens, we we did all sorts of stuff together. Second, we ate popsicles, we ate popcorn, we ate peaches. He didn't, I did. <laughs> um, and we talked, right? It wasn't a lot of talking, but it wasn't like we were trying to stop the talking, which would have activated the nervous system. So another modality that I've done with him, again, a long time ago was neurofeedback. And that had to be adapted as well, which was like, we did it in home because he couldn't go to a clinic. There were supposed to be half an hour sessions, but I worked out, a, I negotiated a deal with the doctor for like, can we buy a month subscription and pay for that instead of by session so that if he only does a minute, it's fine, right? Like if he does two minutes in one day, it's fine. And of course I allowed eating and it was implemented through a screen where he had control over what he was watching. Okay, so we always have to be thinking through the PDA lens to even make modalities supportive of our children and thinking through all of these nuances. Finally, I just want to emphasize every kid is different. Okay, so sometimes I get emails or DMs about like, you always talk about how your kid's in school. Some of us, our kids can't go to school. And like, I, A, I completely understand that. My child could not go to school for a year and a half. B, my goal, again, is to get you clarity. And there's a couple things going on like patterns I've noticed like PDA kids who are extroverted who get dopamine from being with other kids and individuals who actually have a special interest of social engagement with children or maybe fixate on other children often need to be outside of the home in order to be regulated in a school environment once they're out of burnout I'm not going to say the same thing 
to a family in burnout or who has an introverted and internalized expression of a kid who has no interest in other children, right? Like those two trajectories are going to look very, very different. And we can't always predict it. And that's why we have to use the tools, accommodations, reframes that are provided here and apply them to your own home using your intuition, right? So like my example of my life is just one of hundreds of examples. Yes, you probably see mine more frequently, but that's why I also put up in the stories the community responses so you guys can see the variability and the differences in the way that people find peace. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.